From Vancouver, Canada to the masses. From Vancouver, Canada to the masses. The Wonder Brand Show, hosted by Jeremy Brand, will bring you the best in pop culture. Boom! Episode number 16 of the Wonder Brand Show. Holy crap, 16 deep. It was a big night last night. Now, this is going to be a bit of a crossover episode. It is going to be the Wonder Brand Show mixed with Sucker Radio because I am joined this week by Rod Cutzilla Wingrove. Rod, thanks for joining me this week, man. Thanks for having me on, dude. Yeah, for sure. A little out of breath you sound like there, my friend. Oh, I'm just walking up a hill to my car right now, so. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll I'll survive though. Don't worry about it. I've podcasted from my car myself. Uh, sounded a little n- <laughs> not so out of breath as you are, but uh, obviously you got to go to your car for a reason. Yeah, my neighbors are doing uh, some renovations right now, and it sounds like a like a construction zone. So I'm just walking to my car where it's quiet. Nice. Now, as I said, crossover episode, because you are an, a mixed martial arts cut man, we had UFC 205, arguably the biggest fight card in mixed martial arts history, go down live last night from Madison Square Garden in New York City. And you were alongside me. We were downtown at the score on Davy Street for a pretty awesome party. The place was full. It was jam-packed. Just how was your time down there, man? Oh, I had a great time. Um, all of those guys that came out, they were good dudes. Had uh, some good conversations. Everyone really knew what they were talking about. It was great. It was a good time. Yeah, it was awesome. What about the fights? What did you think? Did you uh, Were you as stoked? And do you think that this played out sort of the way the UFC wanted it to? Well, I think there's no question that that was the biggest card in history. And uh, a lot of times when you get those cards, like sort of like UFC 200, they don't pan out. But that one delivered last night for sure. It was awesome. It was yeah. all the it, fights were good. There was there was knockouts. It was everything. It was awesome. I thought it was wicked myself as well. Um, let's talk about the card a little bit. Uh, we said you know the 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 very first fight you spoke to me after after uh, the whole thing was said and done and and we were chatting and both shocked by the opening fight on the pay per view. Raquel Pennington absolutely sort of you know putting a mauling blanketing on Misha Tate. Now, were you surprised by this? Because I definitely was. I, I'm pretty sure you said you were as well. Yeah, I was totally shocked. Um, I mean, uh, Rocky's a tough girl, a really tough girl, but I didn't think she had the tools to beat Misha. I thought Misha had way more ways to win. And uh, uh, Misha's a grinder. And uh, I thought she was just going to grind the shit out of her. Oh, sorry, can we swear on here? Swear all you fucking want. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. Uh, yeah, I thought Misha was just going to grind the shit out of her, but I think it was a smart move on Misha's part to retire afterwards because she just did not look good. She had no snap behind any of her punches. She looked nervous coming to the cage. Her takedowns were slow and telegraphed from a mile away. And I'm sorry, if you're, I, I really like Raquel Pennington, but if you're losing to her in that dominant of a fashion, you're not you're not going to be in the upper echelon anymore. So it was good for her to get out of there while she was still kind of her name was still at the top of that list, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. I was talking to uh Dave Boyce of this Boyce Life podcast which we were doing live down at the score on Davy Street last night following that fight. And I myself, you know, it it's sort of it's almost contradictory to 
retire following a loss inside the cage. You know, you have the adrenaline running through you. You have who knows what's going through your head, really. But I don't think a fighter should ever retire immediately following a fight during their post-fight speech. And I think that she sort of did this because she wanted a reaction. She got a reaction. So either win or lose, I think Misha Tate, she would have gotten the reaction for the win, which would have arguably been the biggest win because it was in front of the Madison Square Garden fans. And if she were to lose, which she did, she was going to retire because she got a reaction. Either way, I think she wanted that reaction. Yeah, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. Um, the only time I would say um, that uh, about retiring right after a fight is if you already know going in that it's your last your last fight or whatever, then that's that's something different, I guess. But um, yeah, I, can, I, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, who knows? But uh, I just think it's it's probably best. It's probably best that it, She's had a great career, an awesome career. One of the pioneers of women's MMA. Uh, she was a champion. Um, she's been in there with the best of the best. I mean, you can't. She's had. She's done everything she can do. And uh, yeah, so my hats off to her, man. She has, and so other women on the card: the UFC strawweight championship, Joanna Youngjacek against Karolina Kowalkiewicz. What a fight, man! I, the first oh. title fight on the card brought the crowd to their feet. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, Carolina surprised me quite a bit. I, I thought Joanna was going to get it done and get it done easily against someone who didn't have the experience that she had. And Carolina surprised me by being able to take it as far as she did. In fact, hurting Joanna in this fight, which shocked me to say the least. Yeah, we've never seen Joanna get beat up like that. Um, if you actually compared their faces after the fight, um, you would probably think that Carolina won that fight. Um, Joanna was beat up pretty bad. Um, that uh, hematoma that was going coming out the side of her eye, I mean, that's a big shout-out to the cut men who kept that thing under wraps because that thing can close up quick, and if that eye closes, it, it could have gone the other way. Um, if not, the the referee doctor possibly could have stopped it too. So, um I thought the same thing. I thought uh, I thought it was going to be kind of more of a, a walk in the park for Joanna. When I changed my mind on that was bef- when uh, Bruce Buffer was introducing them, and it panned over to Carolina, and she's literally with her arms folded, leaning against the cage. And I thought it's almost like she knows something that the rest of us don't hear. Like, and uh, yeah, man, she brought it. She she brought it uh, brought it hard. We've never seen Joanna get beat up like that ever. No, and. Again, in the co-main event, you know, Tyron Woodley, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, I know you picked you picked Tyron to win this fight, but he did it in a fashion that was quite interesting. And in fact, he didn't actually win. It ended up being a majority, dis, uh, majority draw, which I thought was very interesting. And I guess I want to talk about the way it happened, which was the most interesting thing that happened during the fight was the fact that Bruce Buffer was called out of the cage, then brought back into the cage, then read the scorecard wrong, and then as Tyron Woodley was having his post-fight speech with Joe Rogan, he was asked to read it again and read that it was a majority draw. What the hell was going on there? I have no idea, man. I have no idea. Did did they ever say... I was having trouble uh, hearing... 
um, when Buffer was uh, left the octagon and, and went and talked to somebody, one of the uh, the officials, and then came back in. Did you hear what what that was about? Like, were they mulling over the scorecards, or what was the deal there? I'm not completely sure what was going on. I listened to a podcast with uh, TJ DeSantis. It was the beatdown after the bell, and what he seemed to think it was was that because the New York State Athletic Commission is so new, they wanted to have a winner in the fight. They didn't want to declare it a draw, so he left the cage, and he was told to read it the way he did the first time, declaring that Tyron Woodley won by split decision. What? That that makes no sense. You can't do that. No, if it's a draw, you can't. it's a draw. You don't get to you Exactly. Man, that's yeah, that's that's weird. That's weird. If if the fight is a draw, it's a draw. You don't get to say, "Well, let's just pretend he won." No. That's not yeah. how it works. <laughs> no, it's not at all. And and that's a slag or a slight on the New York State Athletic Commission. If that's yeah, actually couple- what went down. I actually had a couple of problems watching that uh, pay-per-view last night with the uh, the uh, New York Athletic Commission. Um, one of them being their ringside doctors. It seemed like they were like they were trying to get their camera time a little, a little too much, and I equate it to what we um, uh, in the cutman industry we call sweat wipers. And uh, they were they kept coming in. They were getting in the way of the corners. They were getting in the way of the cutman for like. Things that they they don't need to be in there. And the only thing I can possibly think of why they were doing it is to get a little camera time. And that shit drives me crazy when they do that kind of stuff. And there was multiple, multiple times where that was the case. Uh, a small cut underneath the eye. It's not going to get in the eye. A small cut. And they're right in there. They're getting they're getting in the way of the cut, man. They're getting in the way of the trainers who are trying to give their fighters some water. Uh, there was There was a few things about the commission watching that that frustrated me. Do you think the UFC goes and, and chats and discusses stuff with them about that? Or do you think it's just sort of, you know, the, the New York State Athletic Commission will learn as they go? Um, well, I mean, it's not like they're, they're a new commission. I mean, I'm, I'm, they do boxing there all the time. But um, this was a big event. I, I don't know. The, the UFC doesn't really or can't really say anything to them. They're, they're the governing body. Um, so there's not really much the UFC can do. Um, if, if the ringside doctor feels like he needs to go into the ring and have a look at a cut, he can do that. But like I'm saying, when there's a small little cut underneath the eye, it's got bleeding very minimally and they get right in there and they're getting their, their mug on the camera. I saw it multiple times. And now hearing this thing about um, they wanted a winner. There's, there's some, there's a few things going on there that irked me a little bit. Definitely. Uh, main event, Conor McGregor walks out of the cage with two championship belts. Well, it happened to only be one to begin with, but I hear that's because he forgot to bring his own belt, so he was given Eddie's <laughs> belt. And then Dana White, like he does, bows down to Conor McGregor, goes backstage and asks Tyron Woodley to borrow his belt. So that was the second belt that came out to the octagon. Uh Conor McGregor getting it done surprised the shit out of me because I thought Eddie Alvarez, you know, he does get dropped. He gets dropped in every fight he has, and he comes back, and he fights a hell of a lot stronger. This one, 
He got dropped three times in the first round, and in the second round, Conor McGregor dropped him with literally a four or five punch combo, which was a thing of beauty. Conor McGregor proved me wrong, and he proved that he is that damn good. Yeah, he's he is incredible. I uh, I'm looking online today, and he still got naysayers, but I I don't at this point I don't really know what you can do to discredit him and he's done everything he said he's going to do he's just dominated most of his fights he he is for sure the real deal whether you like his antics or you don't like his antics i mean the guy sells pay-per-view buys and at the end of the day that's what they're there to do they're there to win fights and and sell pay-per-views and there's no one that does it better than him right now he's uh at the top of the game for sure super super impressive so I guess moving away, for, before we move away from this fight card and, and talk about you, which is the reason why I had you on the show, um, what do you do with Connor next? Does he go down and defend 45? Does he defend the 55 strap? Do you think he takes some time away from the cage, which is completely disrespectful to everyone else in both divisions? It, it's a bit of a, it's a log jam in the 45-pound division because of what he's done this year. And 55, we've got Habib, who had a wicked fight last night. The first round didn't really go the way he had planned, but he, he finished Michael Johnson via nasty Kimura. Um, we've got Tony Ferguson, who's standing in the wings as well. I think we're going to see those two fight, to be honest with you, um, because I do think Connor sort of takes a step back and, and walks away from the cage for a little bit. But what do you think they do with him? Do you think... They strip him of the 45-pound belt because I don't see him ever going back down there. Yeah, I mean, his coaches have said they don't want him to go back there. Um, Connor never has kind of really answered that question, whether he wants to go down. I know his team doesn't want him to, but if he's going to fight, it has to be at 145 pounds or he has to vacate that belt. He cannot keep continuing to hold that weight division hostage. He's got the 155 belt now. He either needs to go down to 145, and fight Aldo for it, or he needs to just vacate it and and uh, Aldo's the champion. Um, but I also heard today that um, his girlfriend is pregnant, so he's going to be having a kid. So my my bets are that he's probably going to take some time. So in that case, if 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 he's going to do that, then they need to strip him of the 145. He he did he did the he got what he wanted. He got both belts. He's the two belt champion. But now it's now he has to do something with it. You can't keep holding that whole division hostage. Both divisions. Um, <laughs> yeah, r- yeah, really. I mean, it, it's it, it's so it goes to show you um, the lightweight division, like the talent there. When you've got uh, Khabib, who's got uh, was it twenty four, twenty five straight wins, yeah. and now you got Tony Ferguson, who's got nine straight wins. And I mean, how do you like either guy is so worthy of a title shot you have to you have to give these guys a chance you know so it's tough man i I don't know i don't know what the answer is but if uh, um he's take some time off then he's got to lose 145 belt and if he is going to fight it has to be at 145 i think yeah i i couldn't agree more i i think they should strip him to be honest with you he hasn't defended it in over a year the funny thing is, is Conor McGregor has held, what, four titles now? Two in the UFC, two in Cage Warriors, and uh, he hasn't defended one of those belts. Oh, in Cage he didn't either, eh? No. Wow. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, um, um, yeah. I mean, at, at some, at some point he's got, yeah, it's, that's ridiculous. Exactly. And now he's, now he's talking, uh, now he's talking with, uh, Tyron and, and, and saying that he's going to come up and take his belt. Well, I mean, come on, man, you got to, at some point in time, you got to pick a division and stick with it. Exactly. I completely agree. Something you've stuck with being a cut man. Let's talk about you a little bit here. Stepping onto the scene as a cut man isn't something that we've seen a lot of here in British Columbia. Uh, you stepped onto the scene not that long ago, actually. Just talk about how you got into being a cut man specifically, and then we'll sort of get into the grimy things of how we worked into getting into Battlefield and in with the Athletic Commission and all that stuff. Just talk about getting into being a cut man first and foremost. Yeah, well, it's something I wouldn't ever, like, even when I was little, like little, little, I would watch boxing with my dad all the time. And there was just something about the cornerman that always intrigued me. I always wanted to see in between rounds. I always kind of gravitated towards them. There was just something about it that I really, um, that really, I just really liked. And then, um, I started training MMA years and years ago and, uh, realized very quickly I wasn't going to be a fighter myself, but I wanted to be involved in the sport. I love the sport and, uh, as well as boxing and, and, uh, kickboxing. I love, I just, I'm a big fan of combat sports and I wanted to be involved. And, uh, just the fact that I, I've always just kind of had that in my, my mind. I was just like, I literally just said, you know, I'm going to be a cut man. I want to, I want to try this. That's all there really is to it. Wasn't much more than that than just, there's something that I've always just kind of paid attention to and, and watched and wanted to be involved in the sport. And I found, I found my passion. So beyond that, obviously getting, saying to yourself, Hey, I want to be a cut man. There takes some work to actually become a cut man how did that oh, happen? Yeah. You must yeah, have absolutely. contacted some some serious people, like you know Stitch Duran. I'm sure you you contacted him. I'm I'm sure you went through some sort of work to actually get to where you are today. Yeah, actually, um, originally got started was is I just started um, wrapping hands is the, is the, the 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 main thing, and a lot of people don't realize that they just see what's on TV working cuts and stuff. But what people don't realize is that we wrap the hands backstage or most of them anyway. A uh, few teams have their coaches who wrap hands or whatever, but for the most part, the cut men are the guys wrapping all of their hands. And that's the most important part of our job. Um, that's where you make your name. That's, that's where the real, real talent comes in into play is your wraps. Um, so I just started practicing like crazy. Um, I met Sean Tompkins at a, a signing one time uh, when we had, I think it was the first, uh, UFC in Vancouver and there was like uh, uh, a meet and greet sort of thing. And I happened to run in, uh, into him in uh, the hallway and he sat down with me and showed me how to uh, wrap a hand. And that's where I kind of started. And I just practiced and practiced and practiced. And then um, I got an opportunity to work for a real shady promotion in, uh, in, um, in the States at a, a casino um, a couple of times. Uh, thanks to uh, Ensign Inouye, actually. Really? I was there just watching the, yeah, I was just there watching the fights. Um, I have a, uh, like a little getaway spot, right. That's right near this casino. So, and they would have these fights there. So, and he was a judge and, uh, I got all shit faced watching the fights. And so afterwards I'm like, oh, I'm going to go over and talk to Anson. 
So I went over and started talking to him and he's like, Oh, so you're, you're a cut man. And I'm like, well, yeah, I want to be, I'm (laughs) trying to get into it. Do you have any, any suggestions? And he goes, yeah. And he calls over the promoter and goes, Hey, this is my friend, Rob. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, He's a cut man. Uh, You should, you should uh, hire him for your next gig. And the guy looks at me and he's like, Oh, you're a cut man. And I'm like, I've like literally zero experience. And I'm like, well, I want to be, and none of these guys were hearing that. I kept saying, I want to be, but I didn't think they were putting two and two together. And uh, he said, well, I can't pay you, but I can give you a, a couple of free tickets. And I'm like, sure. And he's like, okay, I'll call you when we have our next one. And uh, I thought, oh, whatever. The next day I woke up with a hangover and thought, oh, that guy's never going to call me. But sure as shit, a couple months later, um, I got a call from him. And uh, I went down and worked at event and one more for him. And then I quit just because it was super shady and I didn't like what I was seeing there. Um, but that's when I realized, okay, listen, I don't really know what I'm doing here. And this is, I, I, it's not fair for the, of the fighters for me to be in there just kind of trying to figure it out. So I started contacting, uh, local gyms and stuff and said, Hey, can I come down to your gym on sparring days? And just, you know, like if any of your guys get cut, uh, you know, sort of thing. And, you know, I can wrap some guys hands and stuff and, I was trying to go that route and I was getting nowhere. None of the gyms wanted some weird, some guy they don't know to come and and, uh, and, and wrap their guy's hands and stuff like that. So I really got nowhere. So um, what I eventually did was I somehow got a hold of uh, a fellow by the name of uh, Adrian Rosenbush and he was a cut man in the UFC. Um, He's gone on to do other things now, but at the time he was a cut man in the UFC and he was the one who trained Swayze Valentine, who I know you've had on your show before. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Um, and so and I knew that. So I thought, ah, you know what? I just sent him an email and said, hey, man, like, listen, I'm really passionate about doing this stuff. My only training is watching fights on TV and seeing what you guys are doing but and, and practicing the hand wraps on, you know, my friends. Um, so, like, there's nobody here. There was literally nobody um, to actually go and meet with and learn from or whatever. So I sent him this long email and didn't hear anything for weeks and whatever. Actually completely forgot about it. And then one day my phone rang and I looked down and on the caller ID it said Las Vegas, Nevada. And I was like, what the hell? Who's calling me from Vegas? <laughs> and uh, I answered and he's like, hey, Rod. I'm like, yeah. He's like, hey, this is Adrian Rosenbush. I'm like, oh, holy shit, man. So uh, we ended up talking for probably about 40 minutes on the phone. And the whole reason why he was calling, he just wanted to make sure I wasn't a weirdo. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, he said, why don't you come down to Vegas for a week? And, uh, and I'll, uh, we'll do some, we'll do a whole bunch of things. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, absolutely. So that's what I did. I went down to Vegas and uh, did all kinds of stuff with him. And uh and uh, they even had a little surprise for me when I got there. Uh, we went and did, uh, we went back to um, Hard Knocks Muay Thai gym. Right off, he picked me up from the airport. We went right to the gym and we started working on hand wraps. And then uh, he says to me, um, yeah, actually, I just got to pick up a buddy at the airport. Uh, do you mind? And I'm thinking, come on, man. Like, I came all the way here. Like, I didn't come with to, to go do errands, but whatever. Sure, no problem. So we go to the airport. And we're staying in the airport airport 
And all of a sudden, Swayze Valentine comes in. And <laughs> she, she came down just because she knew I was a, a fan of hers. And she spent the week with us, too. And I learned, that's what I learned from was those two. Nice, man. That's a pretty cool experience. So you learned from those two. And a guy that probably anyone in the world would want to learn hand wraps from, the late Sean Tompkins. I mean, my goodness. The stories you have yeah. there are, are super cool. And, and definitely, I'm sure you hold near and dear to your heart because that's a guy that anyone would want to be able to sit next to. The stories he has or had were through the roof as well. So that's pretty cool that you got to share a little experience with him and have that sort of sitting back in the back of your mind every time you wrap hands and stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, he was a really, really good dude, man. And uh, yeah, it was just, it, it was cool. Uh, Cause I just said to him, I said like, you know, you know, maybe one day, like if I ever see again or, or whatever, maybe, even could you maybe film like you wrapping a hand or something and stuff? And he's like, Oh fuck that. And he went back into the convention, came out with some tape and gauze and we did it right there in the lobby. <laughs> so yeah, nice. it was, it was cool, man. He was, he was such an, uh, an amazing guy. And uh, fortunately I got to uh, keep in touch with him after that for quite a bit too. So um, I can't say enough good things about him and he was just a, he was just a, just an awesome, awesome guy. Yeah, man, for sure. So the Battlefield Fight League, you, you got involved with the local British Columbia scene. I know the BC Athletic Commission was tough to deal with at times. Um, getting on with a local promotion, we didn't see Cutmen up until this last year, basically, and you've been named the Cutman for Battlefield Fight League. How did that whole process play out, and uh, how difficult was it to get involved with a local British Columbia organization? Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a little difficult to get into the BFL originally because these small shows, they don't, they don't make a lot of money if any money at all. I mean, it's, uh, you know, local shows are, aren't, they're not Dana White's, that's for sure. So I, uh, I had sent an email off to Jay and, uh, the president of Battlefield and, uh, just said like, Hey, like, listen, I, it was right when I got back from Vegas. Um, I just, I sent him an email and said like, with some pictures and everything, I'm like, look, this is me wrapping hands at extreme couture. Um, this is me doing this. I've just learned from two UFC cutmen. Um, you know, I would love to work for your organization. And, uh, and I didn't even really hear a response sort of thing. So I was like, ah, shit. So, um, he wasn't too interested. I sent off emails to every, um, promotion in BC and Alberta that I could think of. And, uh, I just, I wasn't really, I got a, like a, most of them were really nice and said, ah, sorry, unfortunately we can't really, you know, afford to have a cut man or whatever. And I was even saying to all of them, I'll work for free. I don't give a shit. If it's out of town, if you can just get me there, I'll work for free. Um, the local promotions, I was saying to them, I'll just work your events for free. Like you don't even have to pay me. I just, I want to get the experience. Still wasn't really getting anywhere because I, I think, I think for the the longest time I don't think they looked at it as something that was necessary, like just kind of like oh well that's what they do in the big leagues but we don't need that kind of stuff. So, um, what I ended up doing is I ended up calling uh, up my old my old MMA coach uh, Sal Ram, uh, head coach at Clinch MMA, and I just said to him like hey would you be interested in me? Uh, being the cut man for your team. Like when, when one of your guys has a fight, I, I come with you and, yeah, and yeah. whatever. And, uh, 
he was all, he was totally into it. Um, he just thought that was a great idea. Um, I started going to, um, their training sessions and stuff. Like when Paul Chang was getting ready for one FC fight, I was there, uh, I got wrapped his hands and, and a few of their guys and stuff. And that's essentially how I got in was by just being with the clinch team. And the first five battlefield shows, I think I was just their, their guy. And, you know, I worked one event and then I worked a second event and then people started seeing me wrap his guy's hands. And then all of a sudden by the third event, I had other coaches coming up and saying, Hey man, can you wrap my guy's hands too? So then I wrapped a few more guys hands and, uh, whatever. And then, um, I think Jay, after a few shows, Jay kind of noticed me, um, as like, Oh, well, I see what he's doing there. And yeah, but, huh, maybe if, if he's willing to work for free, maybe we'll, uh, we'll bring him aboard. And, uh, he sent me an email and said, Hey, I've noticed you. And, uh, if you want to do the battlefield shows, you can do the battlefield shows. And, uh, that's how it all kind of started. So it was more so battlefield than the athletic commission. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, the athletic commission has always been great to deal with. Um, I've, I've never really had a problem with them whatsoever. Um, nice. The, they, um, I don't really work for the commission. I mean, I have to work with the commission, yeah. but I don't work for the commission. I work for battlefield. I'm an employee of battlefield or fight night or any of the promotions. I, you, you work for them as a, as a, a, a contractor. Okay. Um, it's just more, you work with the, the, um, the athletic commissions and, uh, they've always been awesome. The, actually the BC athletic commission is probably the best commission I've, I've worked with. I've nice. worked with some shit ones, yeah, but, um, <laughs> the BC athletic, com- the BC athletic commission is awesome. Like they're super professional. Um, all of their, um, room supervisors, all of the ringside doctors that we have at battlefield are awesome. It's the same guys all the time. And we have a relationship. They know, um, they know what I can do and I, I know what they can do. And, uh, yeah, they, they're, they're a real pleasure to work with. So being a cut man, you've seen some nasty shit inside the cage. What is probably the most memorable thing that you can remember that you've had to work on? Um, it would definitely be in battlefield. Um, and it was when, uh, Curtis Harriet fought, uh, Chris Anderson. I believe it was their second fight. And Chris opened him up in the middle of his forehead. And it looked like, um, a murder scene when I got in there and they actually stopped the fight before, cause it was right in the middle of a round. I don't, as a cut man, I can only work in between rounds. There's no, I don't get to go into the cage during the fight and try to stop anything. And there was just too much blood. There was blood everywhere. And, um, uh, so they called the fight, but as a cut man, I still go in there to, you know, stop the bleeding and and clean the guy up. I always want to do right by the fighters because they're going to get a picture taken with them and the other guy's hand being held up. You don't want them covered in blood. You want them to look as good as possible. So I always try to do right by those guys. And so I went into work that thing just before they announced the winner and when I had a look at it, I was looking at his skull. That's how, oh, uh, that's how deep it was. So it was <laughs> needless to say it was, uh, it was a doozy. No kidding. 
Now, obviously, uh, being a cut man, you want to be, you want to do the best job you can. You want to be working all the time. Um, this is for sure just a hobby of yours at this point that you take very, very seriously. You, I'm sure you have a day job. Is this something that you want to turn into something that you could do full time, or do you want it just to be something that you love to do for fun that you can do on the side as well as your real job? I think it's pretty tough to actually. Um, have that as your job. Even the guys in the UFC and Bellator and, and, and stuff like that, most of them uh, have other jobs. Um, uh, most of the guys are like uh, in the, involved in uh, combat sports, so a lot of them are boxing trainers and, and, and what have you. It's really tough to actually make it like just your solo um, job. Um, they, they, I do get paid pretty well, but they, they've got a roster of cut men just like they do fighters. So it all depends who, how many events you're going to get. I mean, if you get only get two events in a month, then it's, that's not really going to do it. Um, so most of them, I would say have other jobs. Um, and now that, that they can't have sponsors that really affected them too. Like that really hit them hard in the old, in the old wallet. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm not surprised yeah. by that. I mean, and and we saw Stitch for reasons unknown uh speaking out about having sponsors on his on his vest and whatnot gets canned from the UFC. I mean, that was absolutely ridiculous. So Yeah, yeah it's uh it was unfortunate, that's for sure. I mean, he he was sticking up for his guys. Um, you know, and uh but it's tough. I guess I can see both sides of it. I mean, if you're working at McDonald's, you can't go and you have as many followers as he does. You can't go on there and say, uh, don't buy these cheeseburgers. They're shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you're going to, and you're going to keep your job. I mean, it's, I get it. I get the business side, but it sucks nonetheless. I mean, it's pretty, pretty shitty way to leave when you're just, and I, I, I think he was a class act about it too. He wasn't really complaining. He was just pointing out the fact that they're, they're going to be hit hard in the wallet um, because they had, uh, especially the guys in the UFC, they're the best, literally the best guys in the world um, at what they do. And uh, they had big sponsors. Like you would always see bad oh, yeah. boy on there and yep. tap out and, and, you know, like big, big sponsors. And, you know, so it's, that's the only time a, a cut man can make money on sponsorships. It's not like, you know, there's countdown videos about them and they can wear shit on there like the fighters can. Like, that's their only opportunity to to sport their sponsors. So, yeah. Well, and you've lucked it out. It's unfortunate. You've, you yourself have lucked out pretty well. Being pretty or fairly new in the game as a cut man, you've, you've garnered a couple sponsors yourself. Uh, speak about those guys just to give them that airtime. I mean, you're not inside the cage or showing off those sponsors as much as some of these bigger guys do. So shout out your sponsors right now. The floor is yours, man. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I've got uh, two, actually. And I've, I'm really fortunate to be working with the two that I have. Um, number one is uh, the Heidest Watch Company. It's a new upstart watch company based in uh, Buffalo, New York. All the watches are handmade um, by one guy, and they're they're really beautiful. And, and how he kind of started was he was just a, he's just a nut uh, for watches. And, uh, he was just making them, um, just sort of as a side gig. And he got to the point where they started getting so many calls. He thought, yeah, let's give this a, let's give this a go. 
So he actually has a Kickstarter going right now um, to get the company up and running so that he can get enough money to make, uh, get the parts to make, you know, a, a, a bunch more. Um, and that's the Hydus Watch Company. And then the other one is um, F-Word e-liquids um, for all the people that vape out there. It's, uh, yeah, it's just the e-liquid. They're a local company. Um, Cody Baines and Ethan Backstrom, uh, owners of the company. Um, and uh, same thing. Everything's handcrafted. They, they really put, really put their, uh, their effort into this. Like these guys uh, really, really came with it. They, this is something that they really like doing. And uh, it shows in the product. It's, it's, it's top-notch. And the prices are great. So uh, you can check them out at uh, fwordeliquid.com. Nice, man. Now, before I let you go, I want to ask you this final question. What, as a goal, for you as a cut man, what, what is that goal for you? Like, what, what do you hope, what is the end game as a cut man? What's your goal, not just for this calendar year, but as a whole? What would you like to get out of the game? Oh, it's, it's by, it, it's just like a, a fighter. Uh, I want to make it to the UFC, to Bellator world series. I want to, I want to get to the, to, le- to the level that, uh, you know, the Rudy Hernandez, the Robin Rose, the stitch Durans are at. I want to work on my craft and I want to work the biggest fights I can. And, uh, my, my ultimate dream would to one day wrap the hands of a guy who goes in and wins a UFC belt. Um, but yeah, work in the UFC, work in Bellator, any of those promotions. I want to work the biggest fights that I can. And like I said, just continue to work on my craft. And, uh, my biggest thing is I want, I want, uh, my peers, um, my fellow cut men and fighters to, um, to, uh, to get their respect. That that's the end, the end goal for me is to earn the respect, earn my keep in, in the cut man world work the biggest fights and uh, just be the best cut man I can be. Well, you're already being a great cut man. I know that. I know that you are garnering the respect from the fighters that you are working with. How does one get themselves to the UFC Bellator world series of fighting? It's there's no, there's no concrete way of doing it. You just got to work fights. You just got to gain that experience. I mean, like Rob Monroe, who I feel is the best, the best of the best. And there's a lot of the best, but in my mind, he's Michael Jordan of Cutman. Um, him and, and Stitch and Rudy Hernandez and Teddy Lucio and all those guys, those guys have been doing this for 20 plus years, some even 30 plus years, you know? So you just got to work as many fights as you can. You got to get the uh, respect from the Cutman, you know, do things the right way. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things that shady shit that guys will do. And, uh, you gotta, you gotta conduct yourself like a professional, get to work your way up through the shows. You start at the local scene, you work your way up to the the mid tier ones, to the bigger ones, to the bigger ones. And, uh, and just hopefully one day your name gets out there enough that when you get the call, you get the call and you, and you, uh, and you kill it and they keep you around. Definitely. Rodman, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you coming on the show today, man. Uh, we were live on MixLR for the very first time. You can also catch the show, The Wonder Brand Show, on SoundCloud and Stitcher and iTunes, Sucker Radio on Stitcher and iTunes, because it will be posted on both, because this was a sort of mixed martial arts crossover episode. 
Um, I'd re- I really appreciate you doing this, man. I-, I thank you a lot. And one last thing that I wanted to say to you, hell yeah, your Movember friggin' rocks. <laughs> Thanks, dude. I'm not, uh, I don't know if it's as nice as yours. Mine hasn't come in as quite as uh, fruitful as yours has, but uh, I'm working on it. I'm working on it for sure. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, that about does it for this episode of the Wonder Brand Sucker Radio crossover show. Just let people know where they can find you in the social media game. If there's any sponsors you've already given shout-outs to, do it again, man. Yeah, it's just um, just my two sponsors, uh, F-Word E-Liquid and the Hydus Watch Company. You can find me on Instagram, Cutmanzilla, and on Facebook, Rod Wingrove. Um, and, yeah, that's about it. And I just want to say uh, to you, Jeremy, thanks for having me on. But more importantly, thank you for doing what you do and MMA Sucker Radio does for Canadian MMA, especially on the West Coast. Um, if we don't have guys like you doing podcasts like this, um, doing articles on local fighters and stuff, some they might never get noticed. So, And there's not many uh, people doing it. So I really appreciate what you do, my man. Thanks a lot, man. This does it for another episode of the Wonder Brand Show and Sucker Radio. We'll be back next week.